Welcome to Lose Yourself with Dr. Mike Cunningham, Bible teacher in Vineyard, Utah. When we lose ourselves in worldly distractions, we lose our value, our purpose, and our passion in exchange for temporal experiences. But Jesus says that whoever would lose their life for his sake will find it. Let's learn what it means to lose yourself with Dr. Mike. Welcome to Lose Yourself. I'm Dr. Mike Cunningham, and I'm so glad you could join me for today's program. We've been in a great series on discipleship, and it has not disappointed. It's been a great opportunity just to really look at what's important. As we continue the study, I just want to remind you that discipleship is the heartbeat of the Lose Yourself program. Those who seek their own life and interests will lose it, and those who lose their life for Christ's sake will find it. And it's about counting the cost, picking up our cross daily, and following Christ unapologetically. It sounds counterintuitive to our culture, but it's really where true purpose and satisfaction lie in discipleship. What's odd is so much of our culture has this obsession with this idea that you can just pray a prayer and do what you want, or some people call it fire insurance, but though salvation is by grace through faith in Christ plus nothing, that is a statement that is more about giving the glory to God for something that we can't do ourselves. But that doesn't mean that we then descend into a life of sin or apathy. Grace is free, discipleship costs everything, but it is where true contentment and satisfaction and purpose is found. And again, that seems counterintuitive to our culture, but we have to at times come together and persevere through so that we can understand where we fit in God's great wonderful world and how we can be used for his purpose in his kingdom. And we've had a great series where we've talked about, in some cases, neglected conversations that we fail to have in church because a lot of times we're focused more on the day-to-day stressors or responsibilities that come with the upkeep of a church. I hope in these last few weeks, we've talked about core four. If you're just trying to try out discipleship and you have no resources, then just take a Bible read a passage with somebody, talk about it, pray with them, and ask them, who's close to you but far from God? That's maybe not the most exhaustive way of doing this, and there's many wonderful curriculums and resources out there, but I want to put it out there that anyone can try this. Anyone can invest in the life of someone. And again, for grace, you go to Ephesians, Galatians, Romans, James, for pastoral leadership, you go to the pastoral epistles, First and Second Timothy and Titus, servant leadership, Philippians, or you can pick a gospel. The red letters are always excellent and do not neglect the Old Testament. Getting together with people and reading the Bible through every year, there's many different Bible reading plans, can be incredibly formative for us and lets us understand Scripture in context and be able to speak about it with authority. This year, I just wanted to get people empowered and excited about their faith because discipleship can be seen as legalistic. I want to just make the unpopular assertion that we're asking too little of ourselves and our congregants. And I believe that it's not about money. It's not about legalism. It's about spiritual growth. It's about organizations empowering the individuals who go to the church to, in turn, become their most valuable asset as people who are leaders, who are disciples themselves, who are family members, who are community advocates for a biblical worldview. I think that there's a time that we have to be serious about getting started. We've talked about growing ourselves and equipping ourselves, and so now I want to move into 
the last couple of weeks, we've talked about choosing someone, why Jesus limited it to 12 disciples and chose to reach the world through us instead of just doing it himself. And I want to talk about how do you know when you're being effective? What are the signs of a disciple so you yourself can pursue that, but also what are you looking for in those you disciple? What traits are you looking for? For example, in several episodes back, Zane Pratt talked about first there's a transform heart, then a transform mind, transformed affections, transformed will, transformed relationships, which leads to a transformed purpose. And I think that was were excellent. And I think that those are marks of discipleship, but also from the navigators today, it's, they've talked about being identified with Christ, openly admit that they belong to Christ and, and own their faith, obedient to the word. That's why Bible study and spiritual formation is so important is because without the word of God in our life, we're guessing. We're just making things up as we go along. And some try to bend scripture to their own purposes and their own biases. But if you will take a deep exegesis of the text, if you, which basically means if you will read the Bible for what it says and not what I think it says, it will transform your life and your heart. Because if you're projecting your own wants onto scripture, you will error. But if you will then read it within context, it will speak to you. There's an old saying that says, a text without a context is a pretext for a proof text, which is a fancy way of saying you need to read the Bible in its time, in its language, before you apply it to your personal life. And so learning how to even read the Bible is important. But also memorizing scripture, putting it in your heart, because we cannot navigate these uncertain times without knowing the text. So obedient to the words, obviously, is, is important. Then finally, there's the fruit. You say, Mike, what is fruit? I mean, obviously, we eat fruit. The fruitfulness of Christ-likeness is found in different places in the Bible. John chapter 15, there's the vine and the branches. We've mentioned that several times. Galatians 5, 22 and 23 with his love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those traits and those marks are evident to those who know us. For some, they're going to see that as a welcome change in your life. In many cases, they've either been praying for you or hoping for you to get yourself together, and that's okay. Just embrace that and say, oh, yes, I've changed. This is a good thing. But others may not receive those quite as well because misery loves company. And so does sin. For years, I was in youth ministry, and we talked about how teenagers have situational morality. So on Sunday morning, they've got a tie on, and they're with their family at church behaving themselves. But on every other day of the week, all bets are off. Well, friend, that's not just teenagers anymore. It doesn't take much more than a quick scroll through your social media account or turning on the news or just walking around to see that Maturity is not a trait that is terribly important or emphasized at this time. In fact, in such a youth-driven culture, you see more middle-aged people trying to act young and foolish than you do people aspiring to put together godly adults and senior adults. What we need, friend, is a reorientation, and that can only come from Scripture. It gives us the authority. It gives us the wisdom that we need to be able to grow in our spiritual disciplines and in our devotion to Christ, but also God will begin to transform our character, and that fruit will become self-evident. I think it's interesting that even those who are critical of faith expect us to be this way. 
because they will even say, you made this mistake, I thought you were a Christian. On the one hand, I don't want us to go into some kind of legalism that's about pleasing others and prop ourselves up in our own character, but there is an expectation even outside the church that we have these marks, this fruit in our life that is evident to all and it's expected to be there. I don't see that as a pressure and I don't see that as a negative. I see that it's a positive that the church is still expected to live by the book. By the way, earlier I was mentioning how people have a tendency to read their own purposes into the scriptural text or look for ways to justify their own agendas through scripture. And so my resource of the day is Howard Hendricks' Living by the Book. It's a great way to read that through and understand how to read and interpret scripture on your own. And you can even use that book in a discipleship one-on-one with someone to teach them how they can read their Bible. Because friend, here's the most important thing. The transformation is going to come through the scripture. The transformation is going to come through the spiritual discipline, such as prayer and fasting. As people come to faith, they sometimes think they have to clean themselves up first. If you're discipling someone, I would expect them to fail on occasion. In fact, I would expect you to fail some because we are human beings, but we don't stop there. Many people in the Bible failed, but they never quit. That's the beauty of this process is that we're not done on this earth. It's the process. It's the journey is the value of this. And in this process of seeking God and living by the book and exhibiting the fruit in our lives, this is what wakes us up every day If we were capable of accomplishing that, then what we would do is we would then quit. Many people, whether they won a gold medal or got a Grammy or or had some, you know, won a Super Bowl, many times they say the next day was the saddest day of their life because they were done. On the one hand, they have this sense of accomplishment. On the other hand, there was kind of a finality to that. Moving forward, understand that this discipleship process will go on your whole life and you will always be growing. And that's a good thing, that when we go to glory, we'll go having pursued this our whole life, and it enriches us, and it helps us move forward. Because friend, perhaps you're out there today, you're stuck. You're stuck in your spiritual life. You got a point where you thought if you had achieved something or had some kind of experience, that you were done. God doesn't have anything left for you. I see people who can even sometimes use scripture to explain why they don't need to be serious anymore. Friend, this journey is for the rest of our life. It wakes us up every day with a sense of purpose. It is something that God grows us through this process. It's for our benefit and for the benefit of those around us. And so friend, as you're committing to make a disciple, it's important that we look at the marks, some of the things that you want to see for them is, first of all, have they identified with Christ? Do they Are they willing to own it and say they're a Christian? Are they willing to commit to Bible reading and commitment to following what the Bible says? To read the scriptures with the right lens and read it for what it says and not what they want it to say and let it transform their life. And that, in turn, produces the fruits of the Spirit. Apart from Christ, we can do nothing. And so when we abide in Him, we bear much fruit. That John chapter 15, it says, bears fruit, some more fruit, and even more fruit. And friend, when we are in the middle of God's will, that is something that is incredibly special, and it gives purpose and contentment in our lives. And when I say that, it doesn't mean it does that because we're getting our way and getting everything we want 
and we're experiencing earthly blessings. Some of the people I know that feel the most close to God and the most content and the most hopeful have walked through some of life's greatest difficulties. And so as a disciple, it may seem difficult, but what's odd about it is that being a disciple and being on this path is oftentimes what helps us to navigate, persevere, and actually experience victory amid circumstances beyond our imagination or capacities. And in so doing, when someone says to you, how did you get through that? You have the opportunity to point to your creator and sustainer, the one who loves us, saves us, and sustains us, and allows us to then point to him that hope of the gospel that we can give to others. Let me wrap up with a couple of quotes. I spoke of Howard Hendricks earlier, and he has a famous quote that says, you teach what you know, but you reproduce what you are. All the more reason to be a disciple, because if you're mature in your faith, that's what you'll reproduce. And so that's why that's so important. R.C. Sproul states, the pursuit of God is not a part-time weekend exercise. If it is, chances are you will experience a part-time weekend freedom. Abiding requires a kind of staying power. The pursuit is relentless. It hungers and thirsts. It pants as the deer after the mountain brook. It takes the kingdom by storm. The pursuit of God is a pursuit of passion. Indifference will not do. To abide in the word is to hang on tenaciously. A weak grip will soon slip away. Discipleship requires staying power. We sign up for duration. We do not graduate until heaven. These quotes speak to the intentionality and the resilience that discipleship requires. Friend, we're out of time again, but I am so glad you could join me today. We'll continue this conversation next week. Thank you for joining me, and I'll see you on the next episode of Lose Yourself. This has been Lose Yourself. Lose Yourself is a teaching ministry of Bible teacher, Dr. Mike Cunningham. For more information about Mike and his ministry, check out his blog at loseyourself.life. Until next time, make it your ambition to lose yourself to Christ. Lose Yourself is a production of Key Radio.